The scripture today is from the second chapter of Matthew, verses 13 through 23. Now after the wise men had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. The Gospel of the Lord. Thank you, Vicki. You may be seated. Grace and peace to all of you this morning. You can see why we save this one for the Sunday after the big holiday. It would be hard to do the candlelit a cappella version of Silent Night after a text like this. The crowds aren't likely to file in for a story about fleeing persecution and genocide. We want to glide past these terrifying stories, but it's important we listen to them and heed their warning because they teach us something about love. You see, I think sometimes we get confused about love. We think about love like it is a divine clothes iron, like the main thing that it does is smooth things out and make them look pretty. Just like an iron, we think, love feels warm and it refreshes and restores. You know what this clothes iron type of love looks like? It's in every holiday special. Sometimes a really enterprising commercial can fit it in. 
It looks like people setting their differences aside to sing a carol together or share a Christmas table or do some other activity rooted in the virtue of togetherness. Clothes Iron Love urges us to just get along, to let go, to not be so sensitive. It suggests that the bad things in this world are best tackled by pleasantness and finding common ground and trying to assume the best about others. We are lured into thinking that what love is about is a sense of effortless harmony achieved by our simple kindnesses. Clothes iron love looks like calmness, not confrontation, agreeableness, not truth-telling. And this is love. This is a side of it. In fact, we get it on Christmas Eve, that silent night when all is calm, all is bright, and all the people gather together in reverence around Jesus. But then we get this story just a few days later, and it's filled with abject horror. There is no smoothing over of anything here. Quite the opposite. It's disruption and violence all around, with Mary and Joseph having to flee the country, countless other parents losing their children. Real and irreversible harm is unleashed on the world because a ruler fears losing his power, and this fear is so controlling that he lashes out indiscriminately and violently at enemies real or perceived. Where is the divine clothes iron here? Why doesn't this get smoothed out? Did God's love in Jesus fail? If love exists only so that we might get along calmly and without conflict, then yes, this story is a failure. And really, how could that kind of love succeed here? Call me cynical, but I don't think kind words would have turned Herod's heart. I think a quest to find common ground with a guy who would issue a blanket death sentence for children is probably doomed from the start. So if love is only a divine clothes iron, it is a failure and cannot help us. But love is so much more than that. And this is why we need to hear this story. We need to hear that love doesn't always smooth things over. Love can also provoke. And the conflict, the backlash, the struggle, this is not love's failure. It is proof of love's presence. The story of Jesus is a story of God's love coming into the world. And this love never has an easy go of it. It meets resistance along every step of the way, 
When Jesus is an adult, Pharisees and religious leaders challenge his authority. Demons confront him at every turn. And political and religious powers conspire against him, putting God's love on a cross. The truth is that Jesus' arrival doesn't smooth anything over. It doesn't make the horrors of the world stop. This story shows that even as a baby, the forces in our world which grab for power and control and fear sharing and depend on someone else's misery for their own security feel threatened by what God is doing in Jesus. They feel the need to lash out and resist this newborn one. They sense that because of this baby, they are on borrowed time. They know that they are up, up against something realer and more lasting. That in this child, there is something eternal and true. That in him and through him, a new world is coming into being. One that has no room for them and their hoarding and violence and judgment and injustice and deceit. A world in which there is enough food and dignity and purpose for all people. The powers of the world correctly understand that in Jesus, the reign of God is beginning. That in Jesus, God has come to unite heaven and earth and to defeat sin and death. This, then, is a better definition for love. Not a feeling, not calmness and agreeableness, but any time the reign of God breaks into our world here and now. Love is anything that resists sin and death, anything that proclaims a union between heaven and earth. And until the day that God comes in fullness, love like this will always provoke the forces that fear it, and they will lash out. And so, what the life of our faith consists of is our slow work of coming to trust that this love of God is indeed strong and true and victorious, over any force that tries to resist it. And it's also God's work of giving us grace that invites us into noticing and extending this love on earth and giving us the resilience to endure the inevitable backlash that it brings. And so, yes, sometimes love invites us to smooth out the wrinkles of life like a divine clothes iron. But sometimes love invites us to take a stand, to call a thing for what it is, to knowingly provoke the powers that be, to resist an evil we see in the world, even if it involves a sacrifice on our end. Sometimes love asks us not to compromise, to resist smoothing things over, 
Sometimes love asks us not to sh settle for shaking common ground with death-dealing, love-resisting forces, but to find solid ground from which we can say, here I stand, I can do no other. The question we ought to ask ourselves in faith isn't, what can I do to iron things out? It's not even, what can I do to make the world a little bit nicer? The question is, what does love require of me? How am I, specifically, being asked to resist sin and death and proclaim a union of heaven and earth? How am I, with my unique gifts and talents and wounds and fears, being invited to point to God's reign of love in our midst. And what will this love provoke from the powers that be? What are the consequences and costs? And what will it take for me to be able to bear them? These are thorny questions. There are rarely clear answers to them, and even when they are clear, they are never uncomplicated. But I think you know that asking questions like these gets you closer to your own heart and to the heart of God, even if at times it brings you closer to suffering and resistance. I don't often talk about it here, but when I studied abroad in Central America, I had a weekend stay with a husband and wife in El Salvador. Both were Lutheran pastors to a small parish. They were committed to works of love, preaching sermons of God's pure grace for all people, operating a free medical clinic in the countryside, publicly denouncing the gang violence which was all too present in their town and country. And each one of those activities was a way of pointing to God's reign in our midst. It was a way of pointing to how God was uniting heaven and earth while resisting death and violence. A month after I stayed with them, they were shot to death in front of their church by the gangs. The love they showed by decrying violence did not smooth things out. It provoked the powers that stood to lose when God's reign wins. This was 13 years ago, and what I believe about it is that, yes, it is a tragedy, and yes, it is an injustice, but it is not a failure. Because the love that they showed and the witness that they gave in their life and their death are more compelling, more lasting, and more true than the forces of fear and violence that took them. When Martin Luther King Jr. lived, he talked about faith as trusting that right defeated is still stronger than evil triumphant. 
And this is why I am grateful for these difficult and gut-wrenching stories from the Bible, like the one we read today. They are so tough to hear, but they tell us the truth that we already know in our bones, which is that love is hard. It is good and strong and beautiful, but it is so very hard. We want it to be like a warm iron smoothing out our troubles. We want to linger at the stillness at the manger with our candles. But when we pause and reflect for like two seconds, we know, we know that love doesn't always bring calmness and harmony. And so today we praise God for a love that doesn't dodge the tough places for a love that willingly enters the loveless spaces of the world to confront and provoke all that stands in its way. We give thanks to God for a love which does not leave us in our trials, but a love which, as Scripture tells us later, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This love never ends. Its victory has already been accomplished in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and one day this love will be all that we know. And until then, we ask what this love requires of us and trust that whatever it brings, right defeated, is stronger than evil triumphant. Amen.